I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Hi, and welcome to Play Me and our new series, The Show Must Go On, created in response to the unprecedented closing of theaters around the world due to the global pandemic. Over the next while, we'll be sharing a series of powerful shows which were cancelled due to COVID-19. And we're doing it all in the age of physical distancing and recording in our respective homes and connecting remotely with actors. The next show in our lineup is the powerful thriller, The Runner, by Christopher Morris. This show is from Toronto's Human Cargo Theatre. It won the 2019 Dora Maver Moore Award for Outstanding Production, Direction, and New Play. It was running at the Tarragon Theatre in Toronto when the production was cut short due to the pandemic, so we're thrilled to be able to present it here. Zaka is an Orthodox Jewish volunteer force in Israel. They collect the remains of Jews killed in accidents, when Jakob, a Zaka volunteer, makes the split-second decision to treat a young woman instead of the soldier she may have killed, his world is changed forever. This is part one of The Runner by Christopher Morris. Everything's gonna be. You can do it. Everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. 
okay. Everything's... What's my name? My name is... Come on. My name... I live in Harnoff with my mother. Her name is... My mother's name is... Come on, what's her... What's my mother's... I pick up body parts at bombings. Car accidents? I put the bodies back together. Every piece of skin, every drop of blood. Why? Why? Jews need to be buried all. Zaka. Zaka. I work for Zaka. That's what I do. I'm a good person. I work for Zaka. Where's my... Where's my phone? They can't... If they can't reach me, they need to reach me. They have to be able to call. Was there an attack? Is that what's happening here? Is there a body? Something bad is happening. I can feel it. Something very bad is happening right now. There's an emergency. Somebody is dying. I can feel it. Somebody is dying right now. Is this about the Arab girl? Is that what this is? Is that why I'm here? The Arab girl? Is that what's going on? The Arab girl? Okay. The Arab girl, okay. I arrived at the scene in Jerusalem before everybody else. Lying on the road was a dead Israeli soldier, stabbed to death. 30 feet away was the Arab girl, lying face down, dying. Between them was a kitchen knife with an eight-inch blade, an eight-inch blade with a black plastic handle, a black plastic handle that snapped when it hit the soldier's collarbone. I saw it, I was there when I walked past the soldier who was dead to the Arab girl, but was it hers? Was that knife really hers? Everybody thought it was hers. They always think that, but in this case, in this particular instance, I didn't know. It was never proven. They couldn't prove it. I don't know if she stabbed that soldier. She was lying face down on the pavement. She was shot in the back, gasping for breath. Drowning in a pool of her own blood. I turned her over. Her face was a black sopping mess. I used my finger, my index finger. With my index finger, I moved aside the wet hair, splayed across her face like I was removing a hair out of a cup of milk. Like I was removing a hair out of a cup of milk with my index finger. Full mouth. Soft nose. Her eyes rolled back in her head. She started to convulse. She was convulsing. One, two, three, breathe. One, two, three, breathe. She coughed up a river of blood. It gushed into my mouth. 
I swallowed. Blood rushed down my throat. One, two, three, breathe. She stabilized. My hands started shaking. My stomach rolled. I swallowed her blood. I ingested, I contaminated. She contaminated me. She contaminated me. Did you know that the girls started crying? They didn't write about that in the papers. Did you know that she was scared? I think she was scared. I don't know. She was in pain. She was crying. Why was she crying? Because she thought she was dead and wished she wasn't? Because she... Because she knew she was alive? Did she regret what she did? You see, even I do it, I just did it. Why do I think that she's responsible? I don't know if she stabbed that soldier. All we know is that people shot her when she was running away. But does that make her guilty? Guilty because she was running away? Maybe she saw what was happening and ran because she was scared. Did she deserve to be shot in the back for that? She was lying on the pavement beside me crying. She's a person, a teenager, a girl. What was I supposed to do? Sit beside her? Sit down beside her? It didn't make a difference. She didn't even know I was there. I don't even know if she could hear me. Maybe she had hearing issues. Hey, hey, hey. Can you hear me? She cried harder. She groaned. Her hands started flailing. I grabbed hold of them so that she wouldn't hurt herself. You're gonna be okay. I told her I didn't know if she would be. What's okay? You're going to be okay, I told her. Her hands softened in mine. You're going to be okay. She turned her head to me, cried, squeezed my hands. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. The Zaka team arrived at the same time as the ambulance. The paramedics tried to push past the Zaka team. So do that, they'll push us out of the way. Stick to the dead, they say. We are trained in first aid. So you'll see the team captain pushes one of them back and says, if you got here on time, we wouldn't have to do your work for you. And then there's more pushing and shoving and people are coming out of their shops and their homes to look at the dead soldier. The Arab girl, the knife lying in the street. Everybody is crowded around now and the paramedics cut away the Arab girl's shirt, exposing her injured breast for everyone to see. So I said to them, what is wrong with you? Do you have no respect? Can't you help her without humiliating her? You don't serve God, you people. I take off my vest to cover her up. And the crowd of people start pointing at me, saying, that's the guy who saved her, him, that one right there, pointing at me. 
somebody threw a half-drunk can of Coke at the girl. It bounced off the road beside her, spraying all of us, and this big rabbi pushed his way forward, cuffed me on the side of the head, and screamed at me. Shame. Shame on you for saving her. Shame. And the police pushed him and the crowd back. The paramedics threw the girl into the back of the ambulance and she was taken away. Alive. Alive. She was alive. Yossi walked right up to me and he poked his finger into my chest hard. What's wrong with you? He asked me. Just like that. What is wrong with you? He's Russian. What do you mean? The Arab girl. He said, what is wrong with you? He shook his head and pushed past me. What's wrong with me? I did something wrong by saving her. I saved her life. We all swore the Hippocratic Oath. He swore it. To serve the person with the greatest need, it removes all bias. It makes the decision for us. No matter what a person has done or might have done, we swore to help them. To not do that is murder. Did he want me to commit murder? To kill that girl? Then the Zaka team started collecting the soldiers' blood from the road, looking for any pieces of skin, and they didn't wait for me. They didn't wait. They turned their backs to me. They wouldn't let me reach the soldier. That's never happened before. These four stars of Zaka get asked to do all the interviews on TV. They have these perfect lives and perfect jobs. One of them is a mechanic. One has an international shipping company. Another one has a kosher bar. And Yossi, the number one star, has an online Judaica superstore. But I don't have another job. I'm not even paid to do this. I'm on call 24-7. If I sleep, my phone's under my pillow. I don't have time to do anything else. This is all I do. This. Yossi's watching over this new kid in training. It's a kid's first time on the job, and from the look on his face, it was the first time he'd ever seen a breast. Shredded and dripping blood. Probably never even spoken to a girl before. He was turning gray, and Yossi slapped the kid on the back and said, right in front of me, have you ever drank before? I've done how many jobs with them? 30, 40, Mr. Titless has done one. I've seen lots of breasts before. Living ones, not just the ones on the job. Real ones. In magazines. But I've never touched a breast in all my life. That's a choice. I've chosen not to do that. But why did he invite the kid? Yossi didn't invite me out after my first time. We washed our hands with a bottle of water at the side of the road and then left our separate ways. Why didn't he invite me? Why the kid? The stars eat sauerkraut, potatoes, and chicken, and they drink vodka every time after they work. Same meal, same restaurant every time. They have a special bond, and they sit at their special table in the back. It's always available. I don't know if they call ahead, or maybe it's because the owner loves them so much. He kicks out whoever's sitting there the second he sees them waltzing through the door. And that night, they filled the kid up with alcohol. 
I saw them from across the street, and food, they sang, they shook him by the arm, messed up his hair, laughed when he coughed on a cigarette, were quiet when he cried, and grabbed him and shook him and made him laugh again. And I knew what they were laughing about. It was really funny. Yossi's a really funny guy. I really like him when he's like that. And then they finished their meal, staggered out, arms around each other, soaked in sweat, laughing and singing. They weren't even aware that it was raining. And the kid could barely stand, and the guys laughed even harder, and then they all staggered up the road, back to their perfect homes. We'll be right back. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I went into the restaurant and sat at the table before it was cleared. Put my hand around the oily fingerprints on Yossi's glass. Could see his lip marks, the grizzled chicken bone and cartilage on the plate. The warmth of his seat, the smell of his sweat. I took a menu like I was in a hurry, but I knew exactly what I wanted. Give me the same as them. I barked at the waiter and leave the bottle. I was half drunk. I wasn't going to drink it. I just kept it out for the smell. And then the waiter quickly came to clear the table. And in an instant, he wiped away all the life and energy that was just sitting there moments before. And in a second, it was gone. Just like that. And all that was left was the odd grease smear on the table. And I was cold, I was freezing. My clothes were soaking from the rain, the heat in the restaurant made it worse, and the food was terrible. My mother's is better. And she was alone at that moment, sitting at the table with a hot meal she'd just cooked, waiting for me to come home. And I choked on a piece of chicken that wouldn't go down, and the smell of the vodka made me want to puke, and the waiter didn't ask. He didn't ask how the food was. Nobody in the restaurant looked at me. Nobody asked me why I was shivering. Nobody cared. Nobody called. Nobody calls my phone. Nobody calls me. Why? Why don't they call me? got home that night, my mother, she was sitting there with a cold plate of dinner in front of her. And I'd just eaten at the restaurant. I wasn't hungry. How could I eat? How could I eat twice? I can't eat twice. 
That's what my mother said. You're never here anymore. You're always working. I don't hear you come in at night. You leave before I wake up. The only way I know you've been home is if there's a pee on the toilet seat. Why don't you lift the toilet seat? You never eat the food I leave out for you. I live alone. Your brother Ari doesn't call. No one calls me. I'd be dead for days before anyone would know. And then you and your Zaka people would come and zip me up in a bag. You spend more time with me dead than when I'm alive. You want me to die before having grandchildren? I want grandchildren, Jacob. Is that too much to ask? She has grandchildren. My brother Ari has kids. But you don't have any, Jacob. Why don't you have any children? You won't even let me buy them little toys or clothes that I see on sale. Mrs. Herzl has nine grandchildren, nine, and her son Moshi has a club foot. He had no problem finding a girl. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this to me? Do you want me to suffer? Am I not good to you? Do I not make your every meal, wash your clothes? Am I not a good mother to you? Why won't you give me grandchildren? What have I done that makes you hate me so? She started rubbing her calves. She's so fat, she can't reach her feet. She has problems with her feet. But does she wear the shoes I bought her or the circulation socks? No. No, 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 no. She wears these cheap plastic sandals and old tearing polyester nylons that don't breathe. They stink. Her feet stink like sour milk. And when I took off her stockings to rub her feet, this knobby cauliflower blooms in my hands. And when I squeeze, her metatarsals ripple between my fingers. I could feel the pulse in her foot twitching in my palms. And it was like I was holding her life in my hands. I'm holding my mother's life in my hands. And she needs to see a doctor. No doctors, she screamed. No doctors. I know a girl. Her name is Leah, a widow, but with lots of energy. She has some kids. Seven kids. I'm not going to marry her, mummy. Or fertilize her eggs. Never. Can't she guess? Doesn't she know it's never going to happen? But typical of you, she said. You've already ruined it. Leah told me something about you, Jacob, that I'm ashamed to say in this house. That she heard that she heard that you, that you, have an Arab girlfriend. An Arab. Leah said that. Jacob has an Arab girlfriend. How could you do this to me, an Arab? How do you have an Arab girlfriend? Um, she's not my girlfriend, I said. So you know this Arab? She is a client. Then call Leah and tell her that she's confused, that she got it wrong. And she would never do that. Lie if you have to. Leah just moved here. She doesn't know anything about you yet. This is her only chance. Why do you want to ruin it? Less than five hours after the Arab girl was thrown into the back of the ambulance, my mother is talking about her at our kitchen table. The Arab girl got inside our house. My mother. She polluted our kitchen. We can't eat there anymore. It'll never be the same. How can it be the same? And it doesn't matter that it's some twisted version of the truth in less than five hours. Five hours. It spread through the crowd, through my neighborhood, through Leah, directly into my mother's ear. Poisoning her opinion of me. Nothing I say could ever change her mind about this. My mother is scared of Arabs. Even before we moved here from England, she'd cross the street if she saw one coming. And she thinks I have an Arab girlfriend. It's over. My mother. My house. My home. 
Our home. Permanently destroyed in less than five hours. For what? I'm a good son. I've always been good to her. My mother, she's important to me. She's all I have. This is the thanks I get for being a good person. This is the thanks I get for saving that Arab girl's life. I can't hear. I can't hear. I can't hear my. It's, it's not. I can't hear my. I can't hear it. My voice. I can't. I can't hear. I can hear. I can hear it. I can hear my voice. I can hear it. I can hear my voice. here. Fire hydrants, white car, bus stop. White car crashed into a bus stop. I'm wet. She's an Arab. I don't like Arabs. I don't like them. I don't mean it like that. I was brought up that way. I don't associate our paths. I, I, I would never marry an Arab, an Arab girl. I mean, I can't. I don't dislike Arabs. Some of them are handsome. I just don't know any Arabs, men or women. I don't know any. That's out of work. Okay, I won't say Arabs. 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 They're Arabs. I can't, I won't call them Palestinians. They're stateless. They don't have a country. It's not bad to call them Arabs. They're Arabs. Okay. 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 I won't say it. I won't call them that anymore. I won't. I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> I saved her life. Okay. I helped her. It shouldn't have even been up to me to make a decision about whether she lived or not. God is supposed to make decisions like that, not me. So why didn't he save her? Why does he not intervene in situations like this? It's just up to us to sort it out. Then he punishes us in the end if we get it wrong. Oh, yes, but when God breathed life into our nostrils, he gave us goodness. So we all share this divine goodness. Well, if there is a universal goodness guiding us through these kinds of situations, why are we so cruel to each other? Why is everything so complicated 
That was part one of The Runner by Christopher Morris, featuring Gord Rand. The original theatrical production was directed and dramaturged by Daniel Brooks. Episodes two and three are available now on Play Me. The Runner was commissioned by Human Cargo Theatre. Its development was supported by the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Canada Council for the Arts. This episode's sound design and edit are by Gregory J. Sinclair, with additional design by Alexander McSween. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at expectheatre or Instagram at playmepodcast. And if you haven't already, please consider rating and reviewing us. It helps us get our podcast out to more listeners. Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani. The senior director of audio innovation is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me's associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is produced by Expect Theatre in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information on our plays and artists, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.